Well, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We are going through Philippians in our series called Overflow. And last week, we saw that knowing joy is knowing Christ. As we've been working through Philippians one verse at a time, we're seeing again and again that you can have joy and peace and purpose in your life that is only found in knowing Jesus Christ. And last week was pretty intense, right? If you were here last week, you probably remember that. Paul was on fire. He was going after these dogs, these people that were confusing good deeds, good works with what Christ has already done in our lives. And as we get into this passage today in Philippians 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, but really it's a continuation from what Paul has already explained. He's already explained that we have nothing to boast in. We, we, we have not done this. We have not achieved this. There's nothing we did to get to God at all. As a matter of fact, every other religion in the world teaches in some way, shape, or form that you have to do something to get to God. You know, the Muslims believe this, the Buddhists believe this, the Mormons believe this. You name it, it's all about what we can do to achieve something to get to him. Whereas biblical Christianity teaches that that's, that's never going to happen. We're never going to get to him on our own. It's God coming down to us by substituting his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we saw that in verse 9 of Philippians 3, if you just want to remember that one. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that depend, from God that depends on faith. So, there is a really problem with this whole concept of spiritual maturity. And for many people, they have a very skewed view of what spiritual maturity looks like. We know it's not our works. We know it's not the things that we do. But even in the church, we can sometimes fall into that trap of thinking, God is going to approve me here. He's going to look kindly better upon me based on how I perform. Let's pick it up, though, in verse 12. And we're going to see that Spiritual maturity is not based on what we do at all. As a matter of fact, spiritual maturity, first and foremost, before we even get to this text, is based on love. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. You can have faith to remove mountains, but if you have, don't have love, you have nothing. 1 John 3, you are known by your love for one another. And if you don't have love, the love of the Father does not abide in you. So love is the number one mark of spiritual maturity. And this passage is going to show us another mark of spiritual maturity that has nothing to do with our performance. But this one isn't as well known. It doesn't have as much buzz and it's not talked about near as much as love is. Are you ready to see this in the passage? Do you have your note sheet, your cheat sheet out and ready to, ready to get into this? You think you know what it is? Well, we're going to see it in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you do think otherwise, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So this other sign of maturity, this thing that marks 
spiritual maturity in our life is hustle. You can sum it up with that. Mature Christians hustle. This is a, a holy discontent with the status quo. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not who I should be. And by God's grace, I want to do more for his kingdom. Do you, have you ever thought of spiritual maturity that way? See, I mean, the word maturity is so misunderstood. As a matter of fact, in our podcast that, that we already recorded that's going to be coming out on Tuesday, we talked about how people have recently gotten upset at millennials for not being mature because they, they still dress up in Halloween costumes. Um, and there's this whole thing going on in the New York Post about that. Uh, and it's kind of funny. Is that the mark of maturity? You know, what, what you do, what you say, if you dress up in a Halloween costume? No. No, in scripture here, one of the true marks of, of, of spiritual maturity is first and foremost love. And secondly, from this text, we're going to see today that is this desire to get after it for Jesus, this hunger, this hustle and bustle. I, I have to do something more for him. Um, when I think about hustle, I think of unceremonious effort. It doesn't always look pretty. Uh, think of a person on the basketball court out there. They don't have the most refined skill. They're not the best athlete out there. But you know what? Arms and legs are flying everywhere, and they're hustling after every single loose ball. Reminded me of my sister when she was in high school playing basketball. She could have been an amazing basketball player if she would have listened to her brother a little bit. She's tall, everything. No, no, it's, it's all good. Rebecca was hilarious to watch play basketball. She was great. She had tons of blocks and rebounds. Lots of blocks and rebounds. She hustled. But when we're hustling for Christ, it's not going to always look pretty. It's not always perfect. But the desire and the hunger has to be there. Unceremonious efforts. Mature Christians do this. So the first way that we can hustle, the way that we can get after it for Christ, and fight complacency is this. It's strive for the prize of the upward call. We're going to actually see three of these practical ways. This is a very practical sermon today. As a matter of fact, most of these chapters in Philippians, these passages in Philippians, have been like coffee cup verses. There's been like all these highlight, these mountaintop verses all over the place. The kind of verses you put on t-shirts, the kind of verses that people write on their eyes and they write below their eyes when they're playing a football game. But this passage does not contain all those highlight verses. This is the under the radar version of spiritual maturity. But as you mine through God's word and you go through every, every verse of God's word again and again, it never fails. And we're going to see today that if you plumb the depths of this, this is powerful for you. This is urgent for you to get. So complacency, that is the enemy of the Christian who's on mission. It's a smug satisfaction to look at your life and just feel fine with where you're at. Yeah, you know, I'm doing better than I used to. I feel good about, I feel good about this. You know, you're, you're, just, you're just rolling through life content with the status quo. I don't really need to push it too much harder. If that's you today, that's not the heart that Paul has here in his text. Don't fall into that trap. That's not what we're picking up from Paul because mature Christians hustle. And F.B. Meyer, who was a, a pastor in the late 19th century, said that dissatisfaction lies at the heart of all of our noblest achievements. Complacency is incompatible with our calling. And Satan knows this. 
Which is why he doesn't try to just tempt you to do wrong things. Do you realize he has more than one trick up his sleeve? It's not just tempting you to go out there and sin. He also is really good at lullabies. He also wants, wants to just lull you to sleep and feel like you've arrived, you've done enough, I'm doing good enough, it's okay. And you don't pursue more. You don't have a holy dissatisfaction and hunger to do something else for Christ. One of the reasons we're planting a new church is because there are so many churches, unfortunately, that have lost their hunger and their desire to do more. I mean, we're here in the upstate of South Carolina. There's churches on every corner, right? But 90% of those churches are either plateaued or they're absolutely declining. And if they're preaching the gospel, they're our friends. We're on the same team. I'm not here to, like, throw dirt on them or anything like that. Obviously not. But there's so many churches and so many Christians in those churches that have lost their passion and their hunger. And those churches are comfortable. They're, they're making a nice living. They're doing the same old routine that they've always done, and it feels good, and it's easy, and there's no drive to do more. There's no hunger to do more. And that is a very dangerous place to be in, and it's not a spiritually mature place to be in. When I, I graduated from seminary in 2009, and there's been three times in my life where I have looked for a ministry position. I've, been, I've looked for a church to go serve in. And I tell you what, it was sad, but so many of those churches that I applied to, I had, I had no desire I had no desire to go there because the lead pastor and just the direction, the vision of the church had no hunger. They had no hunger to do more. So we do need to plant churches here. We need to plant churches all over America and globally because so many churches miss this. So many Christians miss this. And if you're that person who says, yeah, I feel good about myself. I haven't really, I haven't really pushed too hard to do more. You have not even begun to mind the depths of all that you have in Jesus Christ. Look at this passage. Not that I've already obtained. I press on. I don't consider that I have made it. Straining forward, pressing on again. You see it over and over again in this passage. Paul is hungry. He's, he's ready to go. He's ready for more. And the average Christian does not have this today. So we need to wake up and we need to understand this. The same hunger that we had when we, when we came to Christ, when we saw our desperate need for him, is the same hunger that needs to continue. This just doesn't happen, though, in our spiritual lives. This is a very common thing in all facets of life. I mean, think about marriage, right? Ladies, remember when your husband pursued you and when he was wooing you, you know, before you, were, before you had that ring on your finger? He gets out there, he gets those chicken selects from McDonald's and surprises you with them, writes those letters with those sloppy handwriting, and, uh, and now you're like looking, you're like, wow, no surprises for a long time. Like, where did that guy go? What's, what's going on with this? And it works the other way, too. Like, man, you know, it's like, remember when you were dating and your wife, your, your future wife, I mean, she just couldn't keep her hands off of you? Like, what happened to that girl? We have this natural tendency to get comfortable and to coast. And that is not what spiritually mature Christians do. We don't work for God's approval. We work because we're approved by God. There's a difference between obeying to be accepted and obeying because we are accepted. So, let, so we have to see that your identity is in Christ. And he wants you to fight against and push back the gates of hell. Are you on mission for him? Let's look at the text here, though, and just 
pull out some of these specific practical things because there's really four specific ways in this first point, in, the, in verses 12 through 16, that we can fight complacency. The first one is to own your identity. He has made you his own in verse 12. God loves you because he owns you. Think about why you love your children. If you have children, think about why you love your own kids. You know, is it because, it's, is it because they give back to you? Well, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-month-old, and believe me, they're not giving much back to me yet. That's, that's not why I love them. Okay, is it, is it because they're cute? Well, yeah, they could be cute, and your kids could be cute, but you know what? I don't love your kid from the depths of my soul like I love my own kid, even if your kid is cute, because a lot of you out here have cute kids. So the cuteness isn't a reason why we love them. That's not it either. The reason we love our kids is because they're our own. They're a gift from God. We don't own them forever. We're going to send them off one day. Um, it's a temporary ownership, but we love them because we own them. And God loves us because we are his own. So let's own our identity. We're his child. We've been bought with a price. He has given us gifts and talent and resources to go out there on mission for him. The second way that we can fight this natural bent towards complacency is to do more by doing less. Uh, do more by doing less. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead, and straining forward to what, uh, look, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Don't get bogged down by all of the things to do in life. It's easy to make lists and just start crossing things off your list. And sometimes complexity, all the busyness and the hustle and bustle is the enemy of what God wants you to really do, the one thing he wants you to do. I love how he says there one thing. One thing I do. It's not the number one thing on my list. And that's great if you, put, you give God your first and your best, absolutely. But if you are just playing this, this life where you spend time with God in the morning, hear from him, and then check that off your list, check off the number one thing off your list, and then go on and start slaying the dragons and feeding the baby birds and just running around with your head cut off and just go, 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 you're going to miss you're going to be distracted and you're going to be caught up in all the other things. God can't be the number one checklist and then you move on to do everything else. You follow what I'm saying here? He has to be the one thing. It's not the number one thing. It's the one thing. So everything we do, it needs to be for him and for him and through him. Even washing dishes, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Simplify it. Do more by doing less. Don't just cross God off the list. I have my devotions. I'm good for the day. Now I'm going to go on and do everything else. God's going to become distant, and you're going to lose this. Make him the number one thing. Ask yourself the question, what brings God the most glory? I'm going to make my decisions not off of what's, what's easy, what's comfortable, what's fun, but what brings God the most glory? I mean, we just had Halloween, right? And I know some of you out there, I'm not judging you here at all, but it's easy to think, hey, I'll, I'll take my kids. It'll be, it'll be simple. We'll go to this other church's trunk or treat, get tons of candy. I don't know why you'd want your kids to get more candy, but that's besides the point. 
Um, or you could say, hey, we'll, we'll take our kids to Converse Heights and where they got those full-size, king-size candy bars, man. Like, let's, let's just bring them over there. Or you could make the decision, why don't I just use this silly holiday to get to know my own neighborhood and invest in relationships that are right here? These people that I, I drive by their house every day, but I never can talk to them. Like, what if I just showed them the joy of the Lord? That's just one example. I'm not going to judge you. Even if you did nothing for Halloween, that's fine. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying just one example of think through how I can do this to maximize God's glory. That's what we're doing here as a mature Christian. The one thing we do. One thing is not a list. It's a lens. That's the way you think through it. It's not a list. It's a lens. And I mean, I just love the moms in the room. They have to be thinking one thing seriously. One thing. Try one thing per second, Paul. Um, all you moms out there know that. It, it's hard to uh, get into a good college through, through high school. It's hard to ha- run a business and not, not just focus on all the other things. But you can do those things for God and through his glory and his power. He has the preeminence. The next one we see there, the third one is verse 13. Again, it's forgetting the past. Don't let your past failures hold you back. Don't Get so consumed with what you used to do and who you used to be that you forget what God wants you to do right now. Resist at all costs this urge to look back and don't let those past failures trip you up and get you discouraged. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. God has forgiven you. He separated as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown that into the depths of the deepest sea. It's over. Now, it's also good at times, and you see in Scripture, to remember who you were, because you can use those things to help others and disciple others. We're not talking about just forgetting everything. There's like this selective spiritual amnesia that you're supposed to have. There's a balance there. Remember how God has changed you, how he's radically transformed your life. Remember the grace that he's shown you in the dark times. You need that. But you can't think of things in the sense that that's my identity. And you can't think about things in the past that hold you back from pursuing him. It's where you are going, not where you have been. Um, race, car drive, race cars don't have backup cameras. Just think of it that way, okay? I mean, does anybody have a backup camera on their van or in their car? They're pretty nice, right? I like backup cameras. They're great. But if you're moving forward and you're in a race and you're getting after it, they don't have backup cameras, on those cars. And as a matter of fact, I Googled this. Um, NASCAR drivers, they don't even have like side view mirrors. They don't have those at all, which actually cause really big blind spots. Um, but they're just focused on where they're going ahead. And if they're looking around from side to side, checking out this guy over here, they're going to get passed by this other guy over here on the other side. And as a matter of fact, as I was Googling this, because I'm not a NASCAR aficionado at all, but I Googled this and I saw that because they don't have these side view mirrors, they actually have something called spotters. Maybe you know this. But a spotter is someone who used to be a race car driver. They have firsthand experience, and they're looking from above. See where I'm going with this? They're looking down from above, and they see, hey, what's in front of you and what's behind you. And they're speaking to, in, in their ear what knowledge they need to know, what they need to take in as they're in this race. We have a spotter. His name is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, he is acquainted with us. He's been through what we've been through. He sympathizes with us. 
He knows what's behind us, what's in front of us. He know, he's putting it there. So we don't have to just worry about the past and how it's going to affect me. and what's. No. Rely on Jesus Christ. He's going to make a way when there was none. He's the spotter that we all need. The last one here is don't let up. Verse 16. Hold fast to what you have attained. I love this one. The longer that you have been at it, sometimes the harder it is to do this. It really is. Um, the more work you have to do to actually put into staying hungry, the more you've already been filled. And it's easy to think, wow, I've done enough. You know, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've gone through my prime wage earning years. I'm ready just to relax a little bit, to get that country club life going and just, uh, and just kick it back a little bit more. So many spiritually mature Christians over the years, they lose the energy and they lose the drive and they lose their passion. That's why he says, remember what you have learned. Hold fast to it. Don't let go of that. You've already done this. You've, I've done these things through you. Stay at it. Stay at it and don't let up. Strive for the prize of the upward calling and press on. Um, when I was a youth pastor... I loved, I could just hug the old retirees in the church that still stayed after it. Those guys, we had, a, we had a retreat, we needed a bus driver, no one can do it. Well, the retired guy who still cares about church and, and being on mission could do that. I mean, that, that's just gold. You can't, I, I've been pray, we have people like that in our church now, and I'm praying for more. Those spiritually mature saints who've, who've done it, who've been doing it for years, we need them in the church to stay involved and to stay active. We don't need them just to go on their field trips to the Ark Encounter. We need them to be discipling one another. We need them to investing in the younger generation. That's what we want as a church. We need that. And when that happens, that's a powerful thing. That's what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, when I'm a 64-year-old guy, I don't want to be the lead pastor anymore. I want to be assisting and coming alongside a pastor and doing the things behind the scenes that need to be done. That's where it's at. So hold fast to what you've attained and don't give up. Press on. Mature Christians hustle. The second way that we fight complacency is to remember that we're running this race together. It's easier to do this if you're doing it with someone else. And that's the second point. The second point there in verse 17, follow people who are living for Jesus. Let's look at verse 17, 18, and 19. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We don't follow people. For sure we don't. We follow Jesus Christ first and foremost. But it's very, very biblical to get nurtured and tutored and discipled by other Christians. Press on with the spirit of introspection. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And who can help me with my weaknesses? Who can I help with my strengths? If you're struggling in your marriage and you don't know what to do about your husband, find another lady in the church 
who's gone through a similar thing, who has a successful marriage, and lean into her and talk to her and follow her in that area. If you're struggling with anger, find another man, a godly man of the church who's been down that road before, who can help you. There's nothing wrong with setting intermediate goals and following others who are following Christ. This is a very important truth that we all have to do. This is what keeps us on fire. It's what keeps us going. Is it arrogant for Paul to say, follow me as I have followed Christ? Of course not. I mean, it's not arrogant to teach somebody, this is how you hold a bat. We're not talking about replacing Jesus. The people you follow need to be following Jesus. And if they are, that's a great thing. Walk alongside them. Learn from them. Grow with them. We need spiritual leaders to push us along. A hundred percent. Now, I'm good with that. Don't you think that satisfies what we need to know? Like, follow people? That's great, right? I would move on. Only thing is, Paul doesn't really move on here. He actually has a little bit more to say about this. And he says they're the wrong types of people to follow. Yeah, follow the people who are living for eternity, the people that are getting after it for Jesus Christ. But it can be tricky because there's some people that maybe it seems like they're following Jesus, but in actuality, they're an enemy of the cross. In actuality, their God is their belly. They're going after their passions. There's a lot of spiritual leaders out there. There's a lot of people in, our, in churches that don't live for eternity. They mask that with truly what they feel like and what they desire. And they glory in their shame. That's a scary one. Okay? They, they take things that are wrong, and not only do they not call it wrong, but they say it's good, and they begin to champion that. I could park here all day. Well, there's a lot of examples that we could say on this, but there are Christians who ignore truth in the scripture that we see about things like, you know, gray areas, but things that you see about drinking alcohol and drunkenness. It's wrong to be drunk, to be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit. But they glory in that, and they, and they rejoice in that, and they almost celebrate the fact that, yeah, we can do this. Or, or there's, there's people who claim to know Jesus Christ, and, love, and they claim to love Jesus, but they make their identity in their sexual desires. And they even take sex, a good gift of God, and they pervert it, and they twist it into being something that their fallen desires crave. And they find their identity in that. And they glory in their shame. Don't follow those people. They can have a witty blog. They can write a funny book. But you have to be very careful about who is influencing you. Go back to the scripture. Follow those like Paul who are following Jesus Christ. Whoever you're following, they're going to influence you. So be very careful about that. That's the warning that Paul gives us. Follow people who are living for eternity. And you know what? The easiest way to do this, simply speaking, is to get yourself involved in community. It's really easy just to go to church on Sunday and call it a week. It's hard to invest in community and get to know those people. But where are you going to find that lady who went through that hard hard issue in her marriage? Where are you going to find that guy who figured out how to get in control of his finances? How are you going to actually follow those people and get to know those people? Well, the first step is to invest yourself in the small group, into the community of the church. It's vital. You're never going to know those people if you just show up on Sunday and then, and then move on. 
it takes a little bit of effort. It takes getting to know some people. It takes opening yourself up. So it's very important that we do that. A third way that you can fight complacency and keep up this unceremonious hustle. The third way we do that is verse 20. It's remember your citizenship. Remember your citizenship. This world is in opposition to its creator. I mean, I, 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 I hate to say this, but our world is going to hell in a handbasket. And America, we live in one of the greatest countries in the history of mankind. I, I believe it's the greatest country in the world today. I, I, I'm a proud American. But you know what? I'm not always satisfied with the government of America. I'm not always thrilled about it. There's corruption. There's, there, there's, there's, there's problems here. And this world is not the way it's meant to be. If this is all you're living for, that's kind of depressing, honestly. Um, there was a book I read called Heaven years ago. But the author's name is Randy Elkhorn. And I, I'm not going to quote him directly, but he said something like this. Those of us who are going to heaven, those of us who are believers, this present life on earth is as bad as it's going to get. Those who don't know Jesus Christ, this present life is as good as it's going to get. They're, what they're living for right now is, is it. It's, this, is, this, is, this is all their hopes and dreams is right here. But if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to be with him for eternity. And separation from him from eternity is dark, to put it mildly. If we know Christ, we're not living for this life here on earth. And yeah, there's great things that God gives us and blesses us with, absolutely. But there's also health issues. There's also trials and hurt and pain. We all face it. And this world is not the way God meant it to be. One day he will redeem it all, make it all new. That's what we're living for. And that's okay. We don't have to be thrilled with our government. I'm thrilled with the kingdom of heaven. That's my true citizenship. Above my American citizenship is the citizenship in heaven. You can't take anything with you. You just can't. Uh, you may have heard this story. This is not a true story. It's just a total made-up story, but it's, I, I think it's good. I think it really shows the spirit of what we're talking about here. And it's about this guy who was just a money-making machine, okay? Venture capitalist. Everything he touched turned to gold. He just, just raked it in. Millionaire, right? And this guy loved his money. He counted his money. He cashed it out. He had millions cashed out. Like, he was just all about his money. And just like everyone else, he got sick. And on his deathbed, he had this conversation with his wife. I want to take my money with me. Well, you can't do that. Why are we even talking about this? Like, that's not possible. Like, no, no, just promise me. Promise me you're going to bury that, bury that money with me in my casket in the ground when I go. Why, why, are we, why are we even discussing? Like, no, no. Like, just promise me. Okay, okay. I promise you I'll do that. The funeral happens. The minister comes up to the, to the widow afterwards and, and says, I, I heard that he wanted the money buried with him. Like, did, what, what was that? Like, tell me you didn't do that. Well, I did. I did. I actually buried his money with him. Like, no, you couldn't have. You didn't do that. What? What are you talking about? No, I did. You couldn't have done that 
I just wrote him a check, okay? I wrote him a check. That's really where it's at, okay? We, no matter what you do, you are not taking your money with you. Don't live for this world. If you do live, if this world is all there is, it's easy to live for this world, the passions and the, and the fun that's in this world. But if we're truly living for eternity, we're going to be what Peter talks about. We're going to be a sojourner. We're going to be an alien to that consumerism and that, and that mindset. We're going to have our, our eyes set on the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of heaven, where we can reach the prize. The prize of being with Jesus for eternity. That's the prize. So keep your head up. Keep it vertical. And await the coming return of our Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly bodies into a glorious, new, resurrected body. How's he going to do that? Well, the same way that he subjects everything unto himself. He controls it all. He owns it all. Oh, this is, this is powerful. Don't miss this. Don't live for anything else other than our creator. That's the winning team to be on. Let's look at, let's look at the, last, um, the last thought here. It's going to be in chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. And I love how this whole passage is driving, pushing, strive for, strain forward, don't look back, go, go, do it. Mature Christians, hustle. Let's get after it for Jesus. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, I know it's a new chapter, but it's really the same thought. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, takes this deep breath, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Yes, he's calling us to have a holy discontent. To have passion, to want more for Christ. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. But this isn't about just doing things for God. Of course not. Remember the first part of this chapter? That doesn't do anything for us. Our standing for God is already settled. We have a home. We have an identity in Christ. You're not going to please God by doing more. But you want to stay hungry. We all need to hustle. We want to have this unceremonious, no, no matter what it takes, I'm going to do something for the kingdom drive. But we can't do it in our own strength. And Paul, this is such a buttery, just filled with syrup way to talk to the, the, the Philippian church. He loves these people. You can just, it's dripping, right? My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. I mean, he's invested in these people. He loves these people. But do it in the Lord. Don't take this passionate, urgent calling to drive and to pursue Jesus and to get out ahead of yourself. Don't overextend yourself. Remember when we saw chapter 1, verse 27? It was like the third sermon that I preached. And we saw this same thought. If you want to just look back at that briefly. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith. 
If you were there that week, we talked about Roman sandals at Target that don't have cleats. It was really, really wild. But the whole illustration was, this, this points back to a Roman soldier. They're not like the barbarians that run ahead screaming with a spear and get cut down. They stand firm with their cleats. We stand firm. We find all of our strength and power and might when we're resting in God. Stand firm in the Lord. Yes, be on mission for him. Yes, get after it. Mature Christians, hustle. But you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's await the coming of our Holy Spirit. Don't be consumed with earth, earthly passions. Look up. Look up to the coming and await the return of Jesus Christ. That's spiritual maturity. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your word and this truth that we've seen today, Lord. Don't let us do this ahead of ourselves. Don't let us do this and get worn down and physically exhausted, Lord. Remind us that all we have is from you. Everything that we do, we should be doing it for you, in you, and through you. Lord, keep our eyes looking up, awaiting your glorious return. Lord, keep us on mission. Don't let us give up. Don't let us rest in what we've already accomplished. Don't let us get discouraged on the path, but let us look forward to what you're going to do in and through us. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.
together as a church. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen, church. Let's go out and let's do it. Reign forward. Let's give them all that we have and let's go to his kingdom. You are loved.